Hey, I'm Zach. And I'm Jesse. And you're watching In Depth on Now You Know. Help support our channel by going to ecoware.us and picking up some new designs that we come up with every week. We carbon offset the production, the shipping, and life cycle of every product, and we plant a tree for every order. And we're brought to you by abetterrootplanner.com. They just came up with their new premium version of the app, which you can go sign up for. If you use our link down below, you'll get a 30-day free trial. And we're sponsored by our friends at the solar-powered hotels in Schaumburg, Illinois, the Fairfield Inn and Suites by Marriott, and the Town Place Suite Hotel right next door. They're both connected, and they both have solar power. Okay, so we're here this week talking about Jeff Gibbs and Michael Moore's new documentary called Planet of the Humans, and this is a rebuttal to many of the things in the film. So, so far, the film has been seen by over three and a half million people on YouTube, um, and it starts off by saying a lot of things that, you know, we would agree with. We have known about the dangers of climate change for six decades. Right. It actually shows a film of from the 50s of them basically saying, like, carbon dioxide might be a problem. And I was kind of excited actually to see it because I thought, how can you have an hour and a half documentary about uh, the state of the world without kind of agreeing with many of the things we talk about on the show? But it quickly went in a weird direction. Jeff Gibbs went to a solar fest in Vermont. But then a little rain began to fall. My cameraman noticed some commotion behind the stage. So the festival's run off solar energy primarily? Primarily. Um, we need to bring some of the stuff in just because uh, we want to make sure we have enough power to kill our uh, fancy toys that we have lighting the stage. But the biofuel generator wasn't enough. So they wound up plugging into the electrical grid that we all use. The other inverter operating, it's actually pulling power in from the grid, charging the batteries. So this is the mid nineties. Can we, can we agree on that? First of all, we went onto SolarFest's uh, website. We looked through all of their years. There were two years where it rained back in the nineties. It was 95 and 96. And there haven't been too many rainy days uh, since then. And if you look at the cars and the clothing and the music, it's from the mid-90s. So he went to a mid-90s solar fest where the technology and the money was not there to create a fully solar-powered music festival in the rain. They have biodiesel generators there, which isn't great, I would agree. And then it turns out that the biodiesels aren't enough and that they have to hook up to the to the grid itself. Disappointing. Uh, Boohoo, I, I sure wish that they had been able to run fully on solar power. But what exactly was his point here? I think his point here was that solar power doesn't work in any great utility scale level. And so that you can try and have your little concert with a few solar panels. But look what happens when it rains. The whole system falls apart. And for you and I and you viewers out there, you're probably watching going, that's not how solar works. We understand that it's it does work. But for the casual viewer, the person who might be tuning in to watch this documentary who doesn't know a lot about it, they're probably going to walk away with a completely different message. And I would also like to point out that this movie came out in 2020, 2020. It did not come out in 1997. If it came out in 1997, oh, would I think that it was a scolding rebuke of solar energy. And so the general consensus of solar back in the 1990s was this like, oh, what? You're going to power it by with the sun? What if it rains? So 
he was sitting on this footage for 25 years. 25 years ago, this is what happened. It's practically history. Right. I don't understand how this becomes a modern argument against solar power. Well, he does it again in this next scene where he goes to the launch of the Chevy Volt with a V, and that was in 2010. So yes, he's moved up in time, but it's still misleading because it's still 10-year-old footage. So check a look at this. And across the back seat area. Because everybody thought we killed the electric vehicle. No, we didn't. It's alive and well. So what's charging the, the batteries right now? What, where, where, what's the source of a? Well, here. It's coming from the building. I mean, are, is it, um, what's our mix of power? Oh, actually, Lansing feeds the building. What's that? Lansing feeds power to the building. So I don't, I don't know. They're, uh... I bet they're a bit of coal. Oh, they're heavy on natural gas, aren't they? Uh, right now, the car is charging off of your grid. Right. Well, it would be charging off uh, our grid, which is nine, about 95% coal. How long do you think it'll be before there's a solar and wind uh, power? Oh, golly. To suggest that all of the power used for these cars will be generated from wind and solar um, in the very near future would not be correct. So they're plugging in this volt to power it, and they're claiming that most of the power is coming from coal burning. And I just want to point out that maybe that was true in Michigan at the time. But as of 2020, only 26.6% of Michigan's electricity comes from coal, according to the EIA. Take a look at this chart here. Most of it comes from cleaner sources. And I know that some of those are natural gas and nuclear, which aren't my first choices of energy generation. However, there is a, a large chunk that is coming from renewable, and we're talking about Michigan here. And you could put solar on the roof of your house and, like we do, get all of the power for your car from solar panels on your house. Practically no matter where you live. But let's talk about solar in Michigan. So they then wander down to a solar park in Michigan where they're told this. You would get the power when you most needed it. You pass these around, look at them. They are pliable. Made in Michigan, that was another good thing. Although the efficiency of these panels is only about just under 8%. If you happen to be NASA and you happen to own a rover running around Mars, they have very efficient panels. But we can't afford those at about a million dollars a square inch. Yeah, so those panels are only 8% efficient. And even by those standards of 10 years ago, that's a very low efficiency. Those are not really the kinds of panels you should be putting in that use. Those are flexible panels. Those are panels you should be putting on to things where you need the flexibility. Instead, because I guess they were made in Michigan, they decided to go with them. Great, fine. But you're not going to make a lot of power with them. And don't use that as the basis for your decisions on all other solar. So when the guy tells you they would need a three mile by five mile solar park to power all the residents in the town, let's take that apart a little bit. First of all, if you used the efficiency that you could have gotten with, say, a 20 plus percent efficiency panel, you could have powered everything with instead of 15 square miles, five square miles, which is a difference of three. Right. And keep in mind that these could be going on top of people's houses. Exactly. Like no one asked you to set aside five square miles or 15 square miles of town when you've got roofs that are wasted space anyway. Right. That is the biggest argument that throughout this film he never once mentions, which is rooftop solar. But, you know, he does mention that he he gives his background as an environmentalist and he does mention some key things. One is that he started his own homestead so that he could live life environmentally and that he wired his house for solar. Yet he never 
I, I guess, achieved putting solar on the roof, which might be one reason why he's so anti-solar because he's never really learned about it. So then he travels to Lowell Mountain, Vermont, which is a place where they're thinking about constructing some wind turbines. And hang on. Yes. Um, There are wind turbines there now. So what? Oh, well, this is before they were built. So this is as they were doing the construction for that site a few years ago. So this was back about six years ago or something. And what I found disturbing was they start talking about putting wind turbines on this mountain as if it's the same as mountaintop removal for coal. Now, if you don't know what that is, some coal mines take just blow up the top of a mountain because it's the cheapest and easiest way to get at the coal, which causes huge environmental disaster and dangers. And um, then they dig out the pretty much the entire mountain, which right. is made out of coal. Right. Here, yes, they're putting uh, turbines on the top of the mountain. Here's what it looks like today. And yes, you do have to take down some trees to build something. But when you're all done, the trees can grow back up around it. So that big you know, plot of land that looked like a, just a wasteland, a moonscape, when you're done with the trucks and the concrete and everything, uh, trees do grow back up around it. So there's very little environmental impact. And when you're done, here they are, 21 turbines making 63 megawatts of power all cleanly. Now, they keep talking about that it's only going to last 20 years and then the turbines are going to, I guess, break. They never talk about, you know, there is the useful lifespan of things, right? You know, you might buy a car and it has a certain useful lifespan. They, of course, they don't tell you that at the dealership. There is a certain uh, useful lifespan with wind turbines. Just like all infrastructure, it needs to be maintained. Right. So at the end of 20 years. That's when it starts to need some larger repairs, but you don't need to just chop them down and and have to build new ones. No, you can still use the same turbines. They just might need a new gearbox or a new something or or other. Yeah. And then they keep bringing out people who are talking against this wind construction site. And uh, here's one of them. This is not a Vermont company. I mean, Green Mountain Power will be bought out by Gaz Metro and Gaz Metro is owned by Enbridge, as I understand it, which is a big company, resource company in Canada, which is exploiting the tar sands that wants to build the XL pipeline. It's a, and, it's, and, if, and, if you, and it's, it's still we don't know the whole story. And so they kind of imply that the company putting this in has something to do with some devious plot that's going to bring about the XL pipeline. In this case, the company is Green Mountain Power, and that was bought by Energier, which um, is largely renewable. And so all this talk about, you know, it's getting bought by a company that might bring in a pipeline. Well, that's just talk that he didn't follow up on. Right. And it's totally fine. You know, before this acquisition happens, this guy can say whatever he wants because that's it was five or six years ago. However, you're putting this movie out in 2020. So follow up, figure out, you know, what is true and what is not. And don't report on half-baked truths from the past. And why are companies putting in wind power? Because it's one of the most inexpensive ways to make power. So then they go on to talk about uh, a bunch of other things that we actually agree with. One of them was the hydrogen fuel cell car. And yeah, we don't think that hydrogen is in any way a very good green uh, method for transportation, mostly because we know that most of the hydrogen is going to be coming from fossil fuels because you need those hydrocarbons. And they talk about that in the documentary. They didn't mention that you could do it from uh, water, that you can do electrolysis from water to get your hydrogen gas. It's less efficient than if you were to just have a battery electric vehicle, but they didn't talk about it. And I, and I don't agree with hydrogen at all, but I will at least 
talk to you and tell you all of the facts about hydrogen before I tell you that it's a bad idea. In this documentary, he just makes it seem like you can only get hydrogen from hydrocarbons, which isn't 100% true. And then he goes on to talk about uh, elephant poop at a zoo and how they promised that the elephant poop could power the zoo. But then it turned out there wasn't enough poop to power the zoo. And I agree. We shouldn't be putting forth stupid arguments for things that sound good but aren't scientifically able to be backed up. And he went on to do the same thing with ethanol, which, again, has been touted as this wonderful fuel for America. And it turns out that it takes way more energy and inputs to make it than it does that you get out of it. So we agree. Making stupid claims that aren't fully backed up Yes, we should all do our due diligence and not accept greenwashing. And that is a pivotal term that unfortunately didn't show up in the film at all. Greenwashing is where mainly the fossil fuel companies or any corporation for that matter tries to make whatever they're doing seem uh, greener or undermine environmentalist groups by trying to make what the environmentalists are doing not so green. And that is greenwashing in its essence. So he went on to get a clip from Nina Jablonski, who is an anthropologist at Penn State University. The story that we're, we're in right now is, OK, we're in ecological hot water, but there are technological fixes. And if we're just creative enough, if we're just ingenious enough, and if we just work hard enough, we will triumph. Seeking technological fixes one after another is simply going to to lead us to another level of catastrophe sooner rather than later. So out of context, it seems like what she's saying is that technological fixes will get us into more trouble, but it's out of context. What is she referring to? Yeah, it's kind of a worthless statement if you don't give us the context of what she's talking about. Is she talking about ethanol or hydrogen fuel cells or solar or carbon capture or what? Because under the logic that we just heard from that one little clip, then we should never use technology to solve any problems. Right. And that would mean basically, OK, fire, the wheel, uh, clothing. Like we shouldn't spears. Right. All that was bad. We shouldn't have done it. Right. We should have stayed what animals right now. And I would argue that every technology you come up with, no matter how seemingly wonderful it is, can have a downside to it. So, for instance, a pair of headphones uh, that seems totally innocuous, right? Uh, they must be just that's a good technology. Well, I guess I could wear them in front of you and ignore what you're saying to me and become this like uh, very unsocial human being. So, yeah, that could lead to a bad Thing. But does that mean that we don't invent any new technology because it could become bad? But again, that's not even what she was saying here. She was saying something and we don't have the context that was deleted, that was cut out of the movie. So we don't know if she was talking about a one specific technology that everyone like carbon capture, which everyone touts is like, we're going to save all oh, climate change is not going to be a problem because of carbon capture, which is as far as the science goes, as far as I can tell pretty not true. So I could understand that she would be saying that statement following a discussion about carbon capture. But we don't know what she was talking about, again, because we don't have any context. Then we get introduced to Ozzy Zenner, and we're told that he is a visiting scholar. And here's what he says. One of the most dangerous things right now is the illusion that alternative technologies like wind and solar are somehow different from fossil fuels. Well, I hear a lot of the times that solar cells are made out of sand. Have you ever thought about solar panels? The main ingredient that makes them work is silicon or sand. This is the raw material chips are made of, sand. They don't use sand at all. So they use, I'll show you what they, uh, so this is, this is one of the, the ingredients. It's actually mined quartz. 
Spruce Pine, North Carolina, regarded as the finest source of high-purity quartz in the world for semiconductor, solar, and communication applications. But you can't use sand because sand has too many impurities. So you start with a very high-quality quartz and a very high-quality coal. And then you put those two together into uh, an arc furnace and you melt them. The quartz is then melted with coal in a large furnace at temperatures of up to 1,800 degrees. So you need more coal to do that. So that's, I get another coal out. So when we melt these together, we get silicon metal and carbon dioxide. And the carbon dioxide just goes off and you got rid of the carbon, you're left with silicon metal. This is not clean coal. Not clean yeah. coal. <laughs> that was kind of misleading to me because he shows you a piece of coal and some quartz and he tells you that basically you put these two together and you get a solar panel and that basically without coal, you can't have solar. Well, even if that's true, even if we take that at, at its face value, um, under that argument, we probably shouldn't be making anything because to make practically anything, you need to take some stuff either out of the earth or some energy to make it. But it's completely not true what he was saying. I mean, I think this quote from Eric Wessoff uh, puts it quite nicely. He is from the editor of PV Magazine and he's a renewable energy analyst. He said it's difficult to take the film seriously on any topic when it botches the solar portion so thoroughly. Although the film was released in 2020, the solar industry it examines, whether through incompetence or veniality, is from somewhere back in 2009. And yes, so a lot of things were told here by Ozzy are outdated or are misleading. And I just want to point out this fact. So he's basically saying that, you know, solar panels, you think they're so great, but they're made from coal and quartz. And they go on to show a montage of, you know, blowing up sides of mountains to get at the quartz and, and getting coal out of the ground. And I, I'll admit, you do have to make these panels out of something. Mm -hmm. And at the moment, some of them are made that way. But the energy that you put into making this panel is about $20. And the amount of energy, and I'm talking about this, like this panel right here, one solar panel, mm -hmm. the amount of energy you're going to get out over its lifetime. And the lifetime of this panel, by the way, is not eight years or 10 years like they talk about in this uh, documentary. The lifetime, the guaranteed lifetime is 30 years. And many of these panels that are of older technology than this have actually been lasting for 50 years. So it's expected that you could easily get 50 years out of this panel. The $20 it takes to make this panel in coal and energy, you'll get over $1,000 worth of energy out of this panel over its lifetime. Right. His argument is bogus. Right. And keep in mind that the reason that we're talking about 50-year-old panels, it's not like they last 50 years and then they catch on fire. They, It's just because it's now. It's right. right now. I mean, when did we invent solar panels? About 50 years ago. Right. And a lot of them are still working. Now, they're not working at the optimal efficiency that they had when they were built but they are still generating power. And that is the thing to keep in mind. And as time goes forward and we get better at producing uh, solar panels, we are getting them so that they will last longer and longer. Right now, we're getting close to a 0.5% loss per year, which is extraordinarily good. It means that the panels aren't going to be dead for practically 100 years. Yeah, after 25 years, this panel right here in front of us will still operate at 87.5% of the efficiency of when it was installed. So that means this 300 watt panel would put out 262.5 watts. That's after 25 years of sitting in the sun and rain. So then we follow along with Ozzy as he travels to tell us this. Since you can't replace a coal plant with solar, they're actually replacing the coal plant with two natural gas plants. And natural gas is a fossil fuel. This is the Las Vegas Cogen natural gas plant. This is one of the facilities that's replacing the coal plant that's being shut down. 
This is the Sun Peak generating facility. This is the second natural gas plant that was used to replace the coal plant. And you hear the same story in Iowa. Instead of using energy generated by coal-fired power plants, the solar farm will now avoid about 2.1 million pounds of carbon pollution. But then they're building a larger natural gas plant. Let me just ask you a question. Why would they build a larger natural gas plant? Why would they build a larger one? Electric power plants, whether they're coal, gas, solar, or wind, if they produce a million kilowatt hours per year, then you get a million kilowatt hours per year. It doesn't matter what you made the electricity with. They built a larger gas plant because the community needed more power than the coal plant could produce. They tore down the coal plant because coal is the worst polluting kind of plant and because they have the worst operational cost. Now, are we big fans of natural gas? No. Is it better than coal? Probably. A little bit. A little bit. And in certain, it's a very nuanced topic, a topic that they did not spread any nuance to in this film. They didn't say natural gas uh, could be worse for the environment because of methane spills and leaks um, throughout the world and, and talk about that at any great length. They didn't mention that. They didn't broach that. They didn't say anything about natural gas other than natural gas bad. It's cleaner than coal in terms of pollution, in terms of actual stuff that will make you as a human sick. What they did imply was that if you build a solar power plant, you're going to need to build a natural gas plant right off to the side there to keep it going because of its intermittency. What I want to point out is if the filmmakers wanted to, they could have called on this data from January of this year, which shows that 76% of new electrical energy generation in 2020 will come from solar, which is 32%, and wind, which is 44%, with natural gas coming in third at 22%. Coal is not even mentioned because it's being retired because no one wants to build a coal power plant anymore. Right, and that's not just because they're all the people who, who you know, are gonna go out and protest. It's because it's less cost efficient to build a coal power plant to generate electricity. Again, this information came from about five years ago when batteries may not have been a viable solution. But in that time, there's been things like the Tesla Hornsdale battery in South Australia and power walls that show that batteries are a possible solution. It's just they didn't want to mention it in this segment of the movie. But they did want to talk about how solar is intermittent. What's stopping us from running the world on 100% solar and wind? Well, intermittency is one of the major challenges. Grid stability. The sun's everywhere except when it's not there. There's a lot of developers that were flocking to California wanting to uh, connect their solar farms and wind farms. The utilities would turn to me and my team to help them look at what the impact to their grid would be. When we add solar cells or wind turbines to a grid, do we get to shut off a coal plant? Uh, that's certainly the goal. The problem is, or the difference is that renewables are intermittent. All of a sudden, a cloud cover could come over and, all, and your solar generation could drastically decrease. And if you don't have something else there to meet whatever the load is at that moment, uh, then you're going to have power outages. The premise that solar and wind don't work all the time is correct. The sun isn't always out and the wind isn't always blowing. But the entire premise that we need those peaker plants is completely bogus because they are now being replaced by batteries. Now, this isn't on the largest scale. It's not like every peaker plant is right now as we speak being torn down and being replaced by a giant battery pack. But the technology is there and has been proven with you know, the Hornsdale battery plant as along with lots of other battery projects around the world. So it is possible to do this. But instead of talking about that, he talks about this. He shows this graph, which shows that batteries are less than one tenth of one percent of what is needed. And 
He says that a couple years they begin to degrade and they have to be replaced a few years later and that some solar panels only last 10 years. So both of those assertions are completely false. The battery, the number of batteries right now in the world, yes, is a very, very small amount of what we would actually need. But if you were to point at anything at its infancy and be like, oh, there's only 5,000 cell phones in the world. No one's going to have cell phones. That's a completely bogus argument. But now let's get into this. This batteries need to be replaced after a few years. It's really not true at all, right. especially, especially, especially when we're talking about grid scale batteries, because right. you can actually use batteries that are recycled out of cars that no longer perform at their peak. They no longer have the capacity um, to be that useful in an electric car. You can use them on grid scale solar or off grid solar, whatever kind of uh, solar or wind projects you want. Those batteries will work for a very, very long time. Again, it's a slow degradation. They don't just fall apart one day. It's not like a car where you're like, uh-oh, one thing broke, it doesn't work anymore. And then he implies that the carbon cost to build more batteries is so great, but he ignores the fact that yes, there's a carbon cost to building more batteries, but there's also a bigger carbon savings to eliminating the dirty infrastructure that we have now. All of this gets ignored and leaves you thinking that, oh, well, of course, this can't be the solution. Then he shows you something that makes you feel really bad. You use more fossil fuels to do this, then you're getting benefit from it. You would have been better off just yeah. burning the fossil fuels in the first place instead of playing pretend. So opened in 2014, the Ivanpah Solar Array is a solar power station that uses a very different thermal salt technology, something that we don't really advocate on the show because it never really went anywhere. It used a lot of infrastructure for very little payoff. Mm -hmm. But he makes it sound like that this is the latest and greatest solar technology and look what it's doing. Then he goes on to show some information about Germany, which again is very misleading and disjointed. I don't even know why he went there, but if you're going to go there, let's do it right. He implies with this graph that most of the energy in Germany is not coming from solar and wind. Yet, when we look at the actual data, this is what we see. Germany's electrical grid is part of the synchronous grid of continental Europe. In 2019, Germany produced 516 terawatt hours of electricity, of which 46% was from renewable energy sources, 29% from coal, 10% from natural gas. This is a major change from 2018 when a full 38% was from coal, only 40% was from renewable energy sources, and 8% was from natural gas. So counter to the movie, claiming that 4.6% of Germany's energy comes from renewables, the reality is that 46% come from renewables. So the movie is off by a factor of 10. And the argument here could be that it is the total energy consumption, including cars, trucks, planes, trains, uh, little remote control cars, everything. It could that it could do every possible thing that consumes energy. But they didn't really hammer that point home. They weren't saying like, you know, uh, lots of people like to point to the 40% of electricity generation, but they failed to, to consider the cars and the boats and the trains that like they didn't talk about that. So they're giving you this very misleading information that makes you think that they are lying, that these people who are telling you these numbers are lying to your face. And that is going to scare the crap out of people. Right. It's also going to make you think that grid scale solar and wind is not viable when it's as we speak happening in Germany. Next, they go on to Talk about the Gigafactory. Elon Musk, the founder of Tesla, when he announced his Gigafactory battery plant, he said it would power itself with wind and solar energy. Through a combination of geothermal, wind, and solar, it will produce all the energy that it needs. 
but in fact, it has lines connecting it to the same electrical grid that we're all connected to. Elon did say, and the filmmaker omitted, that there are now solar panels being installed on the roof of the Gigafactory. Here's a picture of them. And that up until recently, Tesla was almost shorted and fudded into non-existence. So for the filmmakers to imply that Elon basically lied to everyone and said that I'm going to do this with the Gigafactory when the Gigafactory is in fact not completed yet is misleading. Right. And this happened last year, which means that you had months to fact check and to check your sources and to see, you know, don't show us a picture from years and years ago of no solar panels on the top of the Gigafactory. It's just, it's just misleading and, and not truthful. Now, is the Gigafactory currently being, one, you know, powered 100% by uh, solar panels from the roof? No. And is that something that I wish Elon would address? Yes. Does Tesla have other worries and concerns at the moment? Yes, they are the smallest and yet biggest car company in the United States. They're they're the fastest growing. They're all of these different things. And for the filmmaker to be like, and look at them. Okay, how about Ford? How about GM? How about all of these other car companies that actually were turning profits for years and years? Do they have solar on them? Are you holding them to the same uh, standards? Why are you picking on Tesla? Like, there's a lot of questions in that. Was Elon lying to us by saying that this was going to be, uh, you know, fully renewably powered when the thing isn't even even fully built yet? I don't know. We don't know yet. So casting these aspersions like this is pretty out there. Yeah, this movie is full of these little uh, little vignettes of doubt and misleading content like this one. Electric cars, wind turbines, and solar panels use rare earth metals. And in fact, the rare earth mine is right up the street from here. <laughs> in mining these deep deposits, about 90% of what they pull up out of the ground contains uranium, thorium, and low level of other radionuclides. Radioactive waste that has to be disposed of somehow. They kind of turn it into a paste and spread it over the desert floor. Well, that's good for the desert, right? Yeah, the desert loves that. <laughs> so the quote says, in mining these rare earth deposits, about 90% of what they pull up out of the ground contains uranium, thorium, and low levels of other nucleides, waste that has to be disposed of somehow. Okay, that sounds horrible. It sounds like they are digging in a uranium mine and that they were just happening to find some of these uh, rare earth metals, which they never like actually tell what rare earth metals they were digging out of the ground. Again, a quick clip that really doesn't say anything untruthful, but leaves an impression that is inaccurate. By showing a Geiger counter going off, when you can bring a Geiger counter into your home right now, and it will also register radioactivity from radon and ceramic tiles, etc., that doesn't do anything to help you as a viewer. So mining is taking something out of the earth, taking the bits and pieces that you want out of that material, putting the rest of it back, then uh, piling it up somewhere until you're done with that mine and then pushing it all back into the hole. Now, do I wish we didn't have to do that? Sure, it'd be great if we could just snap our fingers and make things appear. But that is how mining works. Right. Now, to then imply that somehow they made more radioactive material and then strewn it all over the desert is inaccurate. Right, and this 90% of what they pull up out of the ground contains uranium makes it sound like 90% of what they pull out of the ground is uranium, which is not true. Right. They're finding trace amounts of uranium. If they were finding 90% uranium, that would be called a uranium mine and they wouldn't be putting it back in the ground. They would be turning it into bullets and armor and, right. and uh, fuel. They wouldn't be redistributing it with the stuff that they already pulled out of the ground and then putting it back. Keep in mind, 
they didn't they weren't creating as you said they weren't creating any radioactive material no and also walking around with the geiger counter like sure if you want to do a, a documentary or a scene on how bad this is give us some facts show us what the numbers are go interview some scientists who know what this is all about or and, quote some studies right and, i mean and tell us but right. don't just walk around oh look at it, it's clicking what that doesn't tell us anything right and then he goes on to do it with tesla cars <laughs> Tesla's electric cars are built with aluminum, which uses eight times more energy to manufacture than steel. They use lithium, which also rely on toxic mining. And even more graphite, which is one of the rarest forms of carbon. Okay, so really? Aluminum is eight times more energy intensive than steel? That's one of your big claims against the cars? Because did you even know that the Tesla Model 3 doesn't even use that much aluminum? Did you did they even talk about that? Because that's pretty factually inaccurate since they've made more Model 3s than they've made Model S's and X's combined. And then they talk about lithium also using toxic mining. Well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, it really depends on your definition of what toxic is, but most of lithium is brought out of the ground in a brine, left out to dry in the sun, and then you've got your lithium. So what's so toxic about that? Keep in mind that anything can be mined unsustainably. So pointing to particular places in the world where it's being done unsustainably and then conflating that with everything else is extraordinarily misleading. And then talking about graphite and saying the worst thing they had to say about it was it's the rarest form of carbon. Well, I'm sorry to tell you, graphite is very common all over the earth. Saying that this is the rarest form of carbon. I mean, carbon is one of the most abundant resources that we have on earth. So it's like, it would be like if you were like, oh, it's the most rarest form of sand, the kind that's round. Like, what? And then they just continued with this.
We didn't edit that. that I mean, right. we took out the music and we replaced the music. That was the only thing that we had to do in order to keep this on the channel without it getting taken down. But there was nothing in there. There was no, there was no vocal. There was no uh, describing in any detail anything. This was just... I could make this about anything. Yeah, you could reuse that same clip to say about how anything is made. This. Right. Like, it's just whenever you make something on Earth that uses materials and transportation and energy, you could put that clip in there. Does it mean that it's any worse than something else? Here's what I want to know. So you're telling me that it's bad to make, you know, a Tesla that way. Okay. How is it to make an ice car? How is it to make any number of other things? If they're all bad then what are we supposed to do? Again, going back to the, the kind of premise of this movie, are we supposed to just go climb into caves and sit there quietly? Like, what do you want us to do? So then we travel out to the desert and we see that yucca trees are getting destroyed to put in a concentrated solar array. Um, and again, this is kind of taken out of context because they interview some people and talk about how this has now become a solar dead zone. Um, this concentrated solar array was put in the 80s. It's kind of old technology. And now that they're taking it out, maybe they're taking it out because they're going to put something new in there. We don't know. But instead, it's just like, oh, it failed. And it failed, just like any other business that failed. I mean, yeah, they they, they decided to leave this town, which is in the middle of the desert. What? Right. What, what, what is the point of showing well, us this? I mean, yes. I agree that concentrated solar arrays weren't going weren't the future of solar technology. Um, and and are they trying to I really don't know what they were trying to go for well, with this clip. Also, do your research like go show us the clip and then go research what happened and tell us what happened if it fits the narrative. But don't just show it to us and be like, aha, see? it's now a solar dead zone. And it's then not true. There's still the sun. And then showing us broken mirrors. Again, Ivan Pa is not an example that we hold up ever on the show. We are proponents of something that gives has not mentioned, which is roof-mounted solar, which has none of these problems associated with, and in fact is growing throughout the world. People are putting solar panels on their roofs, but he doesn't talk about it. Right. So then they show, you know, broken wind turbines and all sorts of decrepit stuff that's falling apart. And I would argue that, yeah, anything is going to start falling apart if you don't maintain it. All infrastructure requires maintenance. Um, if you, you know, if you're going to Chernobyl and, you know, which hasn't been touched since the 80s, you know, no one's been going there to do anything other than like explore. Um, yeah, the whole place is falling apart because it hasn't been maintained. So wait, are we going to go there and be like, look at this. All these buildings are falling down. We shouldn't make buildings. They fall down after just a couple of years. It's been like 20, 30 years. It's already falling down. That's not the takeaway here. If you maintain something, then it stays working and operational. So then there's a whole big segment here on biomass. And I want to say we largely agree with the filmmaker here. Biomass is burning trees, largely, which is not the answer. And we appreciate journalism that exposes greenwashing. And this is kind of convoluted coverage here because he never really gives a fair, balanced reporting of who is doing what. There's just a bunch of Mike in the face shots. So And, and gotchas. So if I go up to you and you're in the middle of something else and I'm like, what about this? And you're not prepared to answer and you're like, I'm sorry, I'm not prepared to answer that. I could either treat that as gotcha, which is what the filmmaker did here. Or I could then say, well, why don't I contact you later when you have time to really respond and we'll get into a real discussion right. about it. He didn't do that. So maybe he did get these people. I don't know. But a lot of those people were not named. So we don't even know who they are. Some of them are recognizable, but some of them were just wearing like a T-shirt. Right. And are they politicians? Are they supporters of that group? And occasionally he did actually tell us who that person was. But do better research and give us actual numbers and background. Then he shows a, he, he seems to like this a lot where he shows someone going to look at something and then getting chased off the property. 
I would say, again, that makes it seem like they're up to no good. But if someone walked onto your property right now, you'd probably do the same thing. Hey, right. get off my property or I'm going to call the police. Right. I could turn that footage into, oh, what are you hiding? Right. It doesn't matter where you go. If you are on a property that you are not allowed to be on, that is a crime. It is called trespassing. And yeah, people are going to make you get off of their property. They're not going to invite you in for tea. Um, that's just the way life is. And yeah, it's a biomass uh, burning facility. And are we huge proponents of that no but the no. reporting of it is just a little juvenile yeah i mean basically what i feel like about this movie is that the filmmaker is throwing the baby out with the bathwater. so i appreciate that gibbs is reporting on groups that are in bed with land developers and corporations that are just trying to come up with ways to burn more fuels but to lump those same groups in with people that are building solar and wind and evs is misinformed. And in fact, it's so funny because he's reporting on, uh, in some cases, greenwashing, where fossil fuel companies are trying to look green while at the same time trying to burn as much fossil fuels as they can. But at the same time, it's doing the other end of greenwashing where they're discrediting other forms of energy generation. It's great that he's calling them out, but the biggest threat to fossil fuels is solar, wind, and EVs. And Gibbs is lumping those three in with biomass, biofuels, hydrogen, and fossil fuels. It's like he hasn't done his homework. And then we find out at the end of the movie that Ozzy, one of the people in the movie who's proclaiming that solar is a joke, was one of the producers of the movie. Right, and this is just a way for him to push his book. So then it gets close towards the end of the movie. You know, I see the little red bar because YouTube is the only place you can watch this movie since the publisher removed it from uh, from everywhere else the publisher had access to. Um, so it's only on YouTube. And so I see the little red bar coming towards the end. So I'm ready for the solutions. I'm ready for the conclusion. And so uh, we get this uh, moonrise and we get this statement. Now, I know this might all seem overwhelming. It's the kind of thing that we normally don't try to think about. But by not thinking about it, it stands a good chance of doing us in. I truly believe that the path to change comes from awareness. That awareness alone can begin to create the transformation. There is a way out of this. We humans must accept that infinite growth on a finite planet is suicide. We must accept that our human presence is already far beyond sustainability and all that that implies. We must take control of our environmental movement and our future from billionaires in their permanent war on planet Earth. They are not our friends. Less must be the new more, and instead of climate change, we must at long last accept that it's not the carbon dioxide molecule destroying the planet, it's us. It's not one thing, but everything we humans are doing. A human-caused apocalypse. If we get ourselves under control, all things are possible. If we don't... And then it cuts to a very sad uh, clip of orangutans being uh, forced out of, uh, I think they die, being forced out of a rainforest. Um, and that's the end that's, of the movie. And then it ends. And then it freaking ends. What was the what was the conclusion here? OK, like what what is the takeaway? He didn't point to any form of energy generation at all that was clean that he thought that we could rely on to power our civilization with. So we don't have any conclusion there. The one thing that he seems to be saying is that there needs to be less humans. OK, OK, there needs to be less humans. That's you can say that. But he doesn't talk about how you can accomplish that goal which means that I have to guess. I have to guess how we have less humans. So uh, number one could be limit the number of children born per family. So we could have a one child policy, a global one child policy. If we could get that passed, 
Sure, that would be great. But I would like to point out when you're born as a little baby, you're not using the most resources. It's it's when you're older. So this, this would have about a 20 year effect, which is too late. Okay, so that's not going to be the solution is we can't limit children. So then the only other option, if you want to get rid of people, is you either ship them off the planet, which we don't have the means to do in any great numbers, or you just have to kill people. So is he just suggesting that we go around murdering people to address climate change? Because that's those are the only options that we have. That's that seems to be the the thing that he's saying. Now, is that what he's saying? I don't know because he doesn't tell us. I mean, he basically is showing us a lot of scary images without any truthful backing info or solutions. Now, I will say the one image that I walked away with from this movie is that groups like the Sierra Club and 350.org and others are being disingenuous. And so if his point was to make us doubt these groups, then he did a good job. But I don't trust him because a lot of what he talked about, like when he talked about solar, battery and wind was false, was outright false. And so it doesn't give me a lot of confidence in believing anything in this in this movie at all, because why would he, why? Why would you attack solar, wind, and battery technology? Why? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the footage in this movie was really outdated. Um, Mid-2010s, there weren't a lot of solutions. Lots has changed since then. Tesla, with their cars and their energy and their batteries, has all come about in a short amount of time. We have answers. But this movie came out this year, so he could have included that. Instead, the footage he did show of Tesla was all negative. Fossil fuel companies had squashed the research and truth about solar, batteries, and wind for decades to keep their ground juice flowing. So we were kept in the dark about these promising technologies, and that's what Gibbs is continuing with this documentary. Now, I agree with his sentiments about our overconsumption, saving the rainforests, etc., but he has no plan that he's shown us, no solutions, and he's dismissing the real solutions. And I would argue that the fastest way for people to get on board with environmentalism is not to bean them over the head with you shouldn't have children and we shouldn't you shouldn't be consuming so much and you should feel bad it's to give them actual options it's to give them something that they can do because if you're stuck going to the pump every week and having to fill up what are you really going to do that's environmental because you're going to be like well, this sucks, but I'm stuck doing this. So I'm going to have to keep lying to myself to just live with myself uh, if, if you truly believe in environmentalism. And it's much easier to just be like, well, those people are a bunch of hippies. They don't know what they're talking about. If you get someone into an electric vehicle, it doesn't happen all at once. But when they buy an EV and they start driving it, they start thinking about power generation. They start thinking about their consumption because it's an actual number that shows up. It's not gallons of gas, which doesn't make any sense. It's actual electricity, which is exactly the same electricity that they use in their houses. And so they go, oh, if I make the switch to solar power right now, it's going to make a huge impact because no longer am I going to be relying on this grid. I'm going to be able to uh, put solar panels on my roof, uh, pay for a different supplier of electricity to pay for either wind or solar electricity, or they're going to be looking into what does my grid use? What are they doing right now? What can I do to, to start pushing them towards a cleaner grid? And this is what made me so mad. We have real solutions. We talk about them on the show, EVs, solar, wind, batteries, and Gibbs just lumped us in with all the bad guys, the greenwashers, the billionaire liars. Now, he lumped in Elon Musk, who is a billionaire, with other people who do lie to you, 
Bloomberg, Gore, Branson, and all Elon has ever done is work hard for a sustainable energy solution. So what is Gibbs Energy Solution? I don't know. I really don't know. I think, I think that it's, well, we need less humans. And that's like the last little bit of it. It's either it's either that we need less humans or that we all need to shut off everything that's powered by electricity and go back to what year would you say? 1700s, 1600s, 1500s, 1300s? I think this movie revealed that this is Gibbs' own journey revealed, okay? He talked about building a homestead that was ready for solar, and then he never pulled the trigger on it. Because I think basically in this movie, he's admitted that he believed too early what people told him, and then he didn't do his homework. So he bought into ethanol. He bought into, I mean, we see him driving a gas car. We, we see that he has no solar on his roof. So he bought into some other, I guess, green solutions that weren't real. And then he got mad because they turned out to not be real. And then he just decided to backlash against anything that said it was alternative or green. And he didn't do his homework. Right. And that's the problem because, yes, there have been a lot of these like green biofuel things where it's like, well, we can make biofuel out of corn. And I mean, they even talked about it. that You could like make biofuel out of alligator fat. And it's like. How is that supposed to work? Right. And it's great that he brings that up, but he doesn't separate that right. alligator fat from solar panels. And that is the really annoying part here. And that would have been a more powerful movie, I think, if he had shown his life in reality, how he cared about the environment, but he bought into the greenwashing and then he realized that he had been duped. Then he went on to research real solutions. Then he wouldn't have to hate solar power. Um, and he could have focused on all the real solutions that are out there. Instead, we're left with this, I don't really have any answers for you, but it's we have a dismal future. The problem here is that it shocks the viewer into submission and it makes you feel like you can do absolutely nothing, which is exactly what the fossil fuel companies want you to do. They don't want you to do anything. They want you to continue business as exactly. usual. They want you to keep driving your fuel burning car. They don't want you to think about solar panels. They don't want you to think about uh, EVs because that would mean less profits for them. Let's face it, when I get to that last scene with the orangutans, I wanna do something. I care about them and I'm like, oh my gosh, I wanna save them. But he doesn't tell us how to save them. He doesn't talk about palm oil. He doesn't talk about anything. And so as a, as a viewer of your movie, Mr. Gibbs, what am I supposed to do? Michael Moore said that he once felt that electric cars were a good idea, but then, quote, I didn't really think about where the electricity is coming from. OK, so when you did start thinking about where the electricity was coming from, either you got some bad information and then you didn't want to do EVs anymore. Or oh, I don't know what, like I'm, I'm dumbfounded that basically you think that they're coal powered and that they're, you know, bad for the environment or something. Another quote here, Moore said, I assumed solar panels would last forever. I didn't know what went into the making of them. First of all, why do you assume they last forever? Nothing second, lasts forever. Second of all, yes, things go into making of them. Things go into the making of everything. So now that you found out they don't last forever and that they're made by some, you know, materials, now you don't like them anymore? Right. You thought they were magic fairy made panels? Like right. what? And and this is the problem because we we now end up with a movie that for environmentalists is pretty debunkable. We're like, okay, let me just do a quick Google here. Let me do a quick Google there. All right, I see that this movie wasn't that well researched and uh, I don't see any of the of the sources, the federal German government with the 2% of, of wind energy uh, generated in Germany, which is a completely bogus uh, assertion. So 
yeah, we can debunk that. But for people who don't have a horse in this race, for the average American viewer who, you know, doesn't know that much about solar panels, doesn't know that much about uh, electric cars, if they watch this movie, they aren't going to do their research. They're going to assume this is a movie. I believe things that are in movies. That's how I live my life. Either it's fiction or it's nonfiction. And this one was nonfiction, so I'm going to believe it. And they're going to be misled. Yeah, I mean, as Emily Atkins said, who's a longtime climate uh, journalist, she said, climate change is a very difficult subject to cover, due in large part to the sophisticated 40-year disinformation campaign around the subject, perpetuated and funded by the multi-trillion dollar fossil fuel industry and its powerful political allies. But that doesn't change the fact that harmful inaccuracies have been consumed by many people. And then the the real scary thing for me is, like Jesse just said, this documentary is going to leave certain people people who don't know much about what is going on with the feeling that they have been right all along about coal and hippie environmentalists and all this stuff. And so this article in the Dixon Press by author Rob Port says, the conclusion Gibbs reaches is that while things like solar and wind and biomass may work fine in small scale instances, they don't scale well. They certainly aren't capable of replacing baseload energy generation like coal or nuclear power. This is essential information for us here in North Dakota, where wind turbines dot our landscape and a massive lobbying effort is afoot to build even more, not to mention the thousands and thousands of miles of new transmission lines to serve those turbines. The bankers and investors and utility company bigwigs and political activists assure us these wind turbines are our future, that they can replace coal in our part of the world without impacting our quality of life in any meaningful way. This, my friends, is bunk, a bill of goods sold by people seeking short-term profit at the expense of long-term sustainability. As the guy in the film says, we'd be better off with cheap, reliable, plentiful coal. So thanks a lot, Mr. Gibbs. You made a movie and this is what happened. You didn't accomplish what you wanted. You accomplished exactly, I think, the opposite of what you wanted. People are going to keep consuming. They're going to keep using energy. But now they're thinking, hey, the whole thing about wind and solar was a lie. So let's go back to burning coal. Right. Thanks a lot. And this just calls into question everything about Gibbs and his assertions in the movie, because if he truly doesn't like fossil fuels and he doesn't like what we're doing with our environment, why would you ever put out a movie like this? It makes it seem an awful lot like you were being, I don't know, told to make a movie that was going to make you question solar panels and EVs and wind wind turbines. But you know, I wanna go back to something that you should all watch out for when you're watching any of these things. Lack of science. This especially was showing you a lot of things that get to your heart, You see orangutans, you see things, uh, you know, you see concerts concerts and and trees getting cut down and it goes to your heart and you want to do something because you're a human, but then it doesn't give you the science. So you latch on to whatever it is the filmmaker just said you should do. And in this case, he didn't really tell you to do anything, I guess, other than to not believe what you've been told. And sure, there's a lot of things in this movie like biomass that you shouldn't believe that you've been told. Great. But then he lumped it in with things that you should believe in, scientific things that are proving themselves to be true right now. And that's the danger of this movie. Especially the outdated bits and all of it. Oh, it was just a mess. If you haven't seen the movie, feel free to skip it. Yeah, don't bother. Don't bother. It's just an hour and a half of you bashing your head against the wall. Yeah, it's not going to leave you with any solutions that are real. Um, And to Mr. Gibbs, if you're watching. Please reach out to us. We'll talk to you about the realities of EVs and solar and wind and batteries, because these are all real technologies. They're not these fake, you know, snake oil salesman type things. These are real things that are working and will work to clean up our environment. Now, is that the sole answer? No, there's a lot that we have to do to this planet. But is it an answer that we can start with? 
Yes, it is. Because that's the whole point. It's having some autonomy in your life to make meaningful changes. Because once you can start making meaningful changes, there's not a lot stopping you from making all of the meaningful changes. It's just that we all feel stopped at the very beginning. We all feel like we can't make any difference whatsoever. And so you just quit. And that is where the problem lies is in that first moment. If you don't have any hope, you are not going to continue. And the other last bit here is that we have done a lot of our own counter research on EVs and on batteries and on solar panels and on wind because of viewers like you who will send us articles saying that like wind is bad because it generates uh, waste. And so then I will look into it and I'll be like, okay, wind generates X amount of waste. How much does coal generate? And you say, oh, coal generates a ton of waste and it's all toxic and it's all non-recyclable and it's way more waste than wind generates. And then you're like, okay, if we had the same number of wind turbines as coal power plants to produce the same amount of power, how much waste would there be then? And you do that math and you still find that it's better. And you're like, okay, so coal is worse than wind. Problem solved. All of these different things, we've done all of this research. We keep doing it because if we didn't, then we would just be lying to you. Thank you so much for joining us on this episode of In Depth. We're here every week for you. And thank you to our Patreon supporters who keep this show going. Now you, now you know. know.